last week we took a look at the sermon in the divine service. And as I mentioned, there are some that would say that the sermon is, it's separate, it's different, it's just, you know, the pastor's little uh, uh, show stuck in the middle of the uh, liturgy, if you will. And uh, we saw that not only are there uh, kind of an order that goes with it um, can be as as simple as uh, the uh, kind of the greeting that comes before the sermon, uh, the reading of the sermon text itself, followed by the sermon, and then what's called the votum or the blessing that follows after the peace of God. This uh, is all understanding. Uh, it can be. Uh, uh, that simple. Um, but I wanted to, as we kind of talked about this, I wanted to push this uh, a little bit further and um, talk about the, uh, the content of the sermon. Now, with the other parts of the liturgy, I usually put the text up on the board and we look at the content itself uh, when it comes to uh, that, that part of the liturgy. However, when it comes to the sermon, well, I, I can show you the apostolic reading, either grace and peace from God our Father in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or we can look at Ephesians, Philippians 4 with the peace of God. But when it comes to uh, the sermon itself, for the content, I, I can't really put it up on the board. Why not? You're supposed to write it. Well, <laughs> I, I guess first got to write it. Because it changes. And it changes. Um, and so it, there's not a fixed text uh, when you come. Uh, it's going to be that week's sermon, and it will change from that week to the next week to the next month to the next year to uh, whatever. So we have a little bit more of a, a conundrum concerning if we're going to talk about the content of the sermon uh, itself. I did show you last time uh, that when we were talking about either uh, at the time of the Reformation, there was often no preaching, except maybe during Lent, um, or uh, when there was preaching, uh, they went on to talk about there was preaching about human traditions, uh, preaching about worship of the saints, or talks about similar trifles. At another point he says, well, they talk about good works now more than they did these other things, which at least is an improvement, but uh, they still are not talking about the righteousness or faith in Christ. And then concerning the topics uh, that the uh, Lutheran preaching is, and so we had a, a list of them, penitence, or, which would be repentance, the fear of God, faith in Christ, the righteousness of faith, the comfort for the conscience through faith, the exercise of faith, prayer, and our assurance that it is efficacious, has an effect, it works, and it's heard by God, 
about the cross that is placed upon each one of us, kind of our afflictions, the exercise of faith, uh, what faith does, prayer, um, our assurance, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I went on to the other, uh, uh, cross, respect for rulers and all civil ordinances, so dealing with uh, the government, the distinctions between the kingdom of Christ, the spiritual kingdom of political affairs, difference between government and church, marriage, the education and instruction of children, chastity, and all the works of love. So it, it speaks about those. We also saw down uh, below uh, where there were other things that were uh, being uh, preached and, and looked <laughs> upon. I'm going to today uh, pull from, as I mentioned before, this uh, book uh, that is entitled The Sermon and the Propers by Fred Lindemann. these volumes is to encourage preaching according to the church here and in harmony with the appointed propers. There is ample evidence that such encouragement is needed. An increasing number of preachers disregard the ancient system of texts and subjects. They follow no order or plan in presenting the truth of salvation. The propers when we're talking about introit, gradual, pistol, gospel, and all, may still be used, but the dominant thought presented <coughs> and developed is, well, it's actually ignored. The sermon abruptly injects an element into the worship of the people that is out of harmony with the tone and spirit created by the propers. So the propers, as we were going through, we said, present to us a theme for the day. And it says, even when the pastor uses the sometimes he just kind of goes off on his own and there's it doesn't fit the theme it doesn't fit what goes on um uh, it's out of out of harmony now let's be clear as we're going through there is no divine command that binds the preacher to the standard series of pericopes or to the thoughts and subjects of the presented of the subjects presented progressively by the propers in the course of the liturgical year. There is no system of pericopes that is enjoyed by God. So if we're talking about, does God require a one-year series of readings? Absolutely not. Does God require that the pastor preach on that? Um, absolutely not. Um, when it gets to Christmas Day, you know, is it a sin if the pastor doesn't preach on the nativity of Jesus? Nope, it is not. So we're not in that realm, just like with the liturgy. It doesn't have to be used. It's not. There's not a scriptural mandate. Yet, the need of some order and plan must be conceded. If somehow the whole counsel of God's for man's salvation is to be presented, if, if, if we're going to preach, we've got to preach, and, and if you want to present the whole counsel of God, you're going to need a system to make sure that you present the whole word of God. As it goes on here, with some possible exceptions, each set of propers emphasizes specific and definite truth 
The sermon should be in harmony with the chief thought of the day if the service is to constitute a well-rounded, purposeful whole. Now, if we're talking about uh, preaching, um, not all preaching uh, would follow a, a liturgical setup. Um, not all of them where we would say, okay, there's an intro, there's a gradual, there is a theme of the day, there's a collect, and pastor, follow the, the theme. For example, what? What would be... Wednesday night at Catechesis. Um, there's no set absolutely liturgical. In fact, the order is kind of set up to what? Preach on the Catechism. Now, I also use the Gospel and I kind of try to do something that's going forward, but there is explanation of a hymn. There is catechetical instruction and teaching. So, not all fits this. And, and there may be uh, um, you know, other uh, ways in which uh, there might be. But part of this is, is, is talking about kind of Sunday morning uh, kind of things. Um, if we're talking about preaching, we might start off by... big. We want the pastor to preach on the Word of God. During rationalism, and uh, reason had become king, and so discounted so many things and whatever, um, there is uh, sermons, and one in particular, that preached on crop rotation. There is a need for planting corn one year and planting beans the other year. Did you put an O or an A in that? Did you put an O or an A in the... What now? Did you put an O or A in the crop? Crop. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, there's an O. <laughs> uh, crop rotation. <laughs> it's needed. You know, I, I, no. Uh, um, it, it's... It's relevant to, you know, if you're preaching to farmers. You better hope you got a farmer for a preacher, though. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, during the time of pietism, uh, there is always, you know, a heartfelt something fill in the blank. Um there is always actions that deal with the emotions and the feelings of the heart, and it's always an individual uh, thing uh, that that goes on. Um, I gave some examples uh, over here. It's in your, on your sheet that talked about some, you know, other topics. Uh, there may be. Uh, I'm going to preach on traditions, um, the tradition of not eating meat on Friday, but having fish, and so then I would have to have categories, you know, does that allow shellfish, 
sure is that not allowed? And and so what if you wake up early in the morning? Is does that count? Does it go from midnight to or does it start at six? And what are the you know I, it's me like these are things that you could go someplace else and get as good or better information. If I want to do crop rotation, I'm going to go stand with a bunch of farmers who are going to tell me all the time. Why do I want a preacher tell me that? If I want something about whole heartfelt stuff, okay, I'll go to they'll go down to the tavern and listen to somebody complain about their wife. All right. <laughs> so you say that well, my preacher he preaches on the word of God. What does that mean? It's an everlasting truth, contemporary to every time. It's so, good, right, and right. Um, if we're going to talk about it's the relevancy... It's always relevant. Oh. <laughs> to everybody. Farmer and, you know, pharmacist. What else are you expecting concerning the preaching on the Word of God? All right. Um, usually, we begin to highlight uh, law and gospel. What does the law do? Shows our sins. Shows our sins. What does the gospel do? It shows us how God saves us from so sins. Good. It shows us our Savior and the salvation that comes from that. Um, what if what if I'm preaching from the Old Testament? Still does the same thing. Same thing as what? You're still going to expect me to do law and gospel? Yes. You got it. Because you're both in there. Okay. The Old Testament often speaks about the gospel in terms of the promise. The promises of God. Right. Um, but it does present the same thing um, concerning that. What's another thing? What's another thing that we say when, you know, say, well, our. our you can say our. our, our Preacher preaches on the word of God. You can say he preaches law and gospel. Another thing you can say. How it applies to me. Okay. We'll talk about application. Mary? Uh, I just was going to say that we had a lady visit us twice and uh, an older lady and um, I talked to her for a while and she said she didn't seem to be happy. She said that she was looking for sermons that told her how to apply biblical principles to her life and I'm not sure you know I didn't say anything more to her Except, you know, please keep coming. You're welcome here. Law and gospel, but with nothing added to it or taken away from it by the pastor. Whereas, you know, he's going to give you a history. Well, this, that's what God says, but this is what I think. Got it. Um, 
sometimes we will uh, the scriptures at, at times talk about how uh, we need to preach with nothing added to nothing taken away are you looking for sanctification justification and sanctification um that, that might also be a category that we will get to but no that's not what I was looking for um, the, the means of grace so I would expect the pastor to tell me talk about baptism Lord's Supper the, all the, the, the six chief parts and how that how it relates to the reading, as it always does, at least one of them. Rachel? <laughs> Proper interpretation of scripture. I think we're giving what he wants. No. He's going to have to go to his can we phone a friend? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're gonna, you're, you're going to, uh, you're gonna do the VA, you know, kind of thing. Um, well, I always think of how over and over and over it's explained to us how God is running the verbs, is how Tim Mack used to put it. God's always, it's, it's God doing the good. But that's grace, like you said, I guess. Um. Oh, Jesus? Do we miss Jesus? Oh, Jesus! <laughs> what in the world? Yeah, but in our church we preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I mean, you can summarize the whole thing, you know. With that's what's going on. That's what's being uh, uh, done. Granted, sometimes we break up in the law and gospel, but we know that the law is simply the preparation to get me to the preaching of the Savior. And usually we, we put that together and say, listen, that's what I expect to go on. Um, I might, um, I guess I could give you a, a sermon on uh, the three parts of prayer. Remember, I went through prayer, and I can talk about, you know, we, we address the prayer to God, we ask Him for things, you know, and then our confidence that we say Amen. You kind of go, well, yeah, I mean, that's true. It's, it's, it's. It comes from the word. It teaches exactly what prayer is supposed to be. But when you got done, you'd kind of go, oh, yeah, but usually the Sunday morning sermon, I expect it to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Um, I expect there to be. Now, if, if, I, if I do that on Sunday, Wednesday, and I'm teaching the catechism, and I'm teaching on prayer, and I give you these two parts, you go, okay, good. Um, 
But there's something more going on when we're talking about the divine service, the liturgy, putting it in that category. Well, we've gone on vacation several times and gone to different churches and heard different sermons, and some sermons are better than others, but the only time you got angry was the times that the pastor left out Jesus. And then you were human mad. I've never seen you like that before. That was the only time you left out Jesus. And weddings. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Mary? That's what I was going to point out, Mary is that Mary. when you tell us you have visited someplace and they haven't uh, mentioned Jesus at all, it, it, it has become offensive to us also. And I was thinking what Jesus would think about how to sort your Halloween candy, which I brought up <laughs> last week or so. And, I, I mean, because this pastor talked about it for so long... I, I wanted to reach into the radio and grab his throat, really, and say, what does this have to do with what we came here to hear? Is the sermon part of the liturgy? Many regard the sermon as the thing set apart, independent of, unrelated to the forms of worship that precede and follow. The liturgical church can assume no other position that the liturgical preaching is part of the liturgy. A sermon that enlarges upon and applies the chief thought presented by the propers, including the Christian gospel, it's not independent of the liturgy. It belongs not to the preacher. He says it belongs to the people. Um, it's a part of their worship. Agnes Dunn spoke well when he said, A sermon is not primarily a man telling us what he thinks about the state of the world, or what he thinks of us, or what he thinks of our duties in life. It's not even primarily telling us what he thinks about God, or Christ, or charity, or prayer. A sermon is a man speaking to prepare the way of God's speaking. In other words, I'm not here to tell you, you know, here's what I think. We don't care what you think. Um... We want to hear God speaking. We want something that goes forward and teaches us um, uh, concerning that. The uh, As I go forward with uh, some of the... teaching that, that he has in this uh, particular... As a part of the liturgy, the sermon penetrates behind the day's pericopes to the central redemptive act, that is, to the death and the resurrection of the God-man. The sermon extracts the essential core and content of the scriptures which have been read and relates it to the central truth and central redemptive act. In this way, 
The sermon serves its purpose as an integral part of the liturgy by teaching the faithful what they ought to think and feel as together they worship in praise and thanksgiving. So we've got the Word of God. The Word of God presents to us, he calls it the central redemptive act. What he means is, it presents to us the person and work of Jesus, which highlighted quite clearly comes to most prominence in his own death and resurrection. That is the central redemptive act. He redeemed us, the thing that he did. And so, he says that this is, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of other things going on, but this is the central redemptive act that is there. Um, this morning, John 4 the gospel reading, I went over Wednesday, so some of you have a little bit of uh, headache. What happens? A nobleman comes from Capernaum to Cana. He knows that Jesus is there and says, why don't you come down and heal my son? Jesus delays a while. He says, you guys are all miracle seekers, to which the man has to kind of figure out, am I a part of these, am I just a miracle seeker because I want him to come heal my son, or do I actually believe the words of Jesus? And he sticks around and says, no, I believe the words, and says to Jesus, you know, yes, I do want you to come heal my son. Jesus gives him the word. The man believes the word. Not just the miracles. He believes the word and goes back home, and his son is better. I didn't say anything about the death and resurrection of Jesus, because it's not in John 4, 46 to 54, whatever the verses are. Um, does it relate to the death and resurrection, to this, how does that that thing fit into the central redemptive act? Um, he says that what needs to happen is the pastor needs to penetrate beyond what's just the reading to let you know that there is, you know, um, if I preach on John four. And you say, well, Pastor, you didn't say anything about the death and resurrection of Jesus. I say, well, it's not in John 4. But you expect me to get there. In fact, you know, maybe, maybe you didn't realize that, but you do. So how do I do that? How do I take every reading, um, um, and, and, and I don't just, you know, so, so, so Luke 2 says, that they, uh, uh, the baby is born in an inn in Bethlehem. Kind of go, don't say the death and resurrection of Jesus. You, scripture, scripture interprets scripture, but also all the scripture is related to other scriptures. So you look for the promise in the Old Testament of the baby being born and how that relates to the Savior coming. Right, so my, my earlier example, if I'm going to go back to the Old Testament, you kind of go, well, it didn't say anything about the death and resurrection of Jesus, and you kind of go, well, wait a minute. Well, it did. It did, <laughs> you know, and it is pointing, and, and there, there is that. It's why when you do the readings on, like, the, the parables, which are kind of confusing, especially the ones that are like, the kingdom of heaven is like this random object, and you're like, what? <laughs> Right. So it's really helpful to have a pastor who does understand the scriptures to explain what that actually means because it is complicated. So what happens is the the, the pastor takes the takes the reading, 
says, here is what Jesus is doing and teaching. It's the same Jesus. But everything about that is always pointing to this. Why is Jesus doing miracles? So, to show us who he is. Who is he? He is true God. And why did he come as true God? Yeah, exactly. You've got to put it together. That's the job of the pastor. When he preaches Jesus Christ and him crucified, he does it from John 4, he does it from Genesis 1, he does it from... Uh, um, so he talks about, here's what the pastor is doing. He does go on to talk about something else. He goes on to talk about... Uh, uh, the sermon extracts the essential core and content, the central redemptive act, which have been read, and he relates it to the central truth and central redemptive act. He's going to relate it to this. Uh, the central truth, if this is the act, what you, who Jesus is and what he has done, the person and work, there is a truth or a message that comes from this act. Here's what Jesus did. What do I preach based upon that? For us. That, what he did, gives you the promise of the forgiveness of sins. I promise you that those who believe are declared righteous. They are justified. In this particular one, he pulls out a Greek word called the kerygma, which is just the preaching, the message. And the message always is this gospel message. So, I don't just tell you that this happened. I also tell you what? What came of that? Why it was done? Why it was done? Why was it done? To save us. To save us. And so, uh, Karen, you have mentioned in this one, and you want to apply it to my life, here's the application of the gospel. Granted, I can do an application of the law. The law is to show your sins. The application of this gospel, this central truth of who he is and what he has done, is so that you might trust in it. You might believe it, that you might hold on to. I tell you, he did this for you. Go and, when uh, uh, Jesus says, go out to all the world and preach the gospel, that's the kind of thing uh, that he is uh, speaking about. May I ask you a question here? Yeah. That word, charisma. Does that mean the actual, first you're telling about it, but next you're giving it out? Is that what the right. difference there? This, is, that this is go and preach the kerygma, preach the gospel, the con, you know, the the application. Don't. Okay. It's not just about this. Just it's about concept. application and and pre, you know, This is facts. Mm -hmm. You know, the scriptures teach that. This is why this is of such importance. Why God has been going about this. Uh, again and and again. Uh, the liturgy, or what? An integral part of the liturgy. The sermon must be integrally related to what follows. The liturgy prescribes that the faithful respond joyfully and gratefully by proclaiming the central redemptive act. It goes on to talk about how when we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death 
until he comes. There is a, a, a mini-sermon that, uh, uh, that, that you end up uh, preaching as well. He goes on to talk about non-liturgical preaching. And he says, you know, one of the problems when the sermon is divorced from the liturgical action, it usually results in at least three different things. Um, one direction becomes intellectualism. What is that? Well, I preached this, maybe. Again, I'm not talking about preaching other things, but preaching this. And it simply becomes a matter of memory work, intellect. Let me simply present to you uh, the, uh, uh, the, what happened on Holy Week. This happened on Holy Monday. This happened on Tuesday. On Monday, Thursday, Jesus uh, instituted Lord's Supper on Good Friday. He died on the cross. And, you know, and I go through and I simply present to you the, the facts. It's, it's simply becomes an advent. And it, in fact, it may go often, what, what he's speaking about is, then I go on to go, well, now I break this up into the, uh, uh, the active obedience of Christ and the passive obedience of Christ. Now, but interesting enough, have you heard me use these terms? Yeah. Do I normally use them on Sunday morning in the sermon? No, it's not that that's wrong. But when I use those... Usually it's on a Wednesday night or a Bible study or whatever, and I'm saying it, the point is is that that's not my end. Now, some of, you know, obviously I'm going to present to you facts, even on even in the divine service on Sunday morning. But it's not simply about retaining facts. We got to know facts. But the the sermon has more going on than just a kind of uh, uh, intellectualism. Uh, it also. Uh, Non-liturgical preaching may become moralism when it's not following the this kind of teaching. You end up using the facts, uh, the the person and work of Christ, and you turn it into things that you're supposed to do, and so. Um, I was once listening to a, a, a someone gave me a tape. Uh, it was like a, it was like I don't know. They went to a, a rummage sale. They got 35 tapes in this big folder, and it was this guy that was teaching on the Book of Revelation. Was it you? No, I was going to say it was Karen. It was Karen, right? No, <laughs> she goes to rummage sales. <laughs> it wasn't Karen, but anyway, someone brought it to me and said, "Hey, Pastor, it's on the Book of Revelation. You ought to listen to this." I listened to the first tape and threw the thing away. Um, I hope you didn't give it to me. <laughs> but the, um, the first tape, um, it, it went through. It had Revelation one. It had it said and it said that that Jesus was standing there in a long white robe, reaching to his feet. And for the next twenty five minutes, it talked about chastity and how we ought to dress modestly, and our clothes ought to cover up our. Uh, bodies and especially women's that ought to go to the floor and 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 thirty I mean thirty minutes on morals how to live and 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 I went you know uh, um, uh, right now are there things in which the scriptures teach what we would call ethical rules in other words how the 
Christian list. There are. But if that's all it does, and you know, hopefully there are times when I tell you just exactly, listen, the scripture tells you you need to go to church, you need to hear the word of God, you need, you know, you need uh, uh, to love your spouse. Granted, those are rules. Those are those. But that's not the, 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 the whole thing. Another direction in which non-liturgical preaching degenerates into emotionalism. Uh, the preacher may succeed in producing all kinds of spiritual excitement by playing on the emotions and feelings of his hearers. Um, you can, by means of, of particular practices of preaching and teaching, you can appeal to those kind of emotions. Often I will, and I will say, if you know, there, there's there's something called positive reinforcement. You know, you do this with your dog. You know, if if, if you want them to do something, you give them a treat, and then they if they do an approximation, you do it again. You know, and then they do it more and whatever. Um, you do that with your pastor. I got a collar. You. You know, what do you do? When I do something you like, you tell me. And I go, oh. And if I do that again, you'll tell me you like it again. You know. And so you say to me, Pastor, you know, you really touched my heart this morning. Oh. Oh, I really liked what you had to say, Pastor. It was really, you know, it meant so much to me. It was, you know, and pretty soon you kind of go, oh, what are the things that, that they like? You know. Um, uh, so if, if I mention a, uh, a baseball story... Oh, the, you know, the guys are going to tell me they like that, you know. And I can mention another sports story, and pretty soon I have a sports story every sermon for them. Yeah, everybody likes it. Um, the emotionality. Uh, when someone says to me, and they say it, um, I know the Spirit was moving this morning, Pastor. <laughs> Uh, how did you? Yeah. How did you know that? It's always that. Nobody ever says to me, you know, I could tell the spirit was moving this morning because you were preaching long gospel. No one ever says that. You know, I could tell the spirit was moving this morning because you were talking about Jesus. You know, that's what the Holy Spirit... No, it's always this something else. Um, and, and yes. Um, now, those are what we would... We, would we, we could spend the whole time. I mean, we can go off on, you know, everybody likes to complain about the, uh, uh, the, the things. Um, in, in this particular one, not only does it speak... Uh, in in those particular terms, uh, but it also um, it also gets to a couple other things. I'm running out of time. Evangelistic. I still want to keep that there. Evangelistic. Evangelistic preaching takes the central redemptive act of Jesus, preaches the gospel promise, the central truth out, but the purpose of evangelistic preaching is to do what? Convert. You know, if you're an evangelist, 
you're going out to take people that don't believe in Jesus and you want to convert them. You want to create faith that, that trusts in, in Jesus. The Divine Service on Sunday morning, is that sermon evangelistic? Yes, because it's the word that say that... How many unconverted people are there? Nobody knows. We don't, we don't know. know. I don't really know. But I expect... And you can strengthen the faith that is there. That's a different thing. Okay. But... If, if if my job is to take people that are unbelievers and convert them, I, you know, I don't know that Sunday morning is is the place. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say I'm going under the assumption because 95% of the people that are there are actually members of the church and I've taught them and they've been pretty, you know, I'm kind of going under the assumption you're a believer. I'm, I don't have to convert you. Um, Paul, in some of his messages, I went over the ladies with the first missionary journey, his preaching is evangelistic. Now, it's not that I'm not preaching the gospel. It's not that I don't want you to trust in Jesus. You know, But this is not kind of the first time. This is not, let me uh, uh, convince you that you ought to believe in Jesus because you're going to hell. The byproduct, any time you're preaching the word of God, the Holy Spirit can do anything he wants with it. Oh, yes. Absolutely. But I would direct, my, my, my sermon would be different. It, you know, if you told me, hey, I want you to come and preach a message, we're going to have a hundred random people from, the, you know, from here. It would definitely be more evangelistic I'm just saying that does come. That does would, could work. With, you know, even that was your aim. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Well, somebody mentioned. I think it was Karen mentioned earlier. Who controls the verbs? See, and that's what this whole discussion has been about. Who controls the verbs in the believers in in our new man? We know who controls the verbs. <laughs> The Holy Spirit controls the verbs. For the unbeliever, he has no concept of what you're talking about when you talk about the Holy Spirit converting them. They know nothing about the Scriptures, even though they know the Scriptures. They may know the Scriptures, but they know nothing about them because the Holy Spirit has not worked in their hearts who controls the verbs. Now, how does that happen? Through the Word. Through the Word. But the believer hears the Word different. Consequently, he needs it preached differently than the unbeliever. To that end, it reminds me of when I've been there for Synod, and the pastors are preaching. And when they are preaching their sermons to other pastors the tone is a little bit different. Correct. It's not a different gospel. It's Correct. not a different truth. But the the things that they're talking about are a little bit different. Maybe you guys have never actually heard, like on television or what, a sermon where this guy is, you know, <laughs> yelling at the people and, and, and accusing them and telling them, you know, and, 
and I, I kind of go, oh my goodness, you know, and I'm like, these people are taking like a beating that, that, and, and, and I'm not quite sure, you know, I mean, either this guy knows something about the congregation that I don't know, you know, but, um, but, but when, when I, when I, when I see this kind of going on, I, you know, I'm, I'm wondering how many people are sitting here going, yeah, I, I, somebody must need this. I don't know who it is, but you know, um, you know, it's not me. Um, you know, it's it's that kind of law that is preached. That, you know, again, we're all sinners, but but this kind of idea that we're all uh, uh, complete unbelievers, it's just not true. Um, I mean, we know that when when that is being done. In a similar way, there is something which we would call instruction preaching, in which you pre- preach to either one. The newly converted, we kind of call that, use like kind of catechetical kind of thing, where you are teaching them, they believe, they've come to believe, and now they're here and they say, teach me. And there's instruction in, in, uh, in the faith, in the six chief parts, to bring them to being instructed. There is also instruction for those who are in the congregation, who have been confirmed, who have been taught the faith, and yet they still need this kind of instruction. Um, nevertheless, um, I'm going to say this kind of moves on to something else. Most of the time when I'm talking about instruction, it's it, uh, this kind of instruction preaching, it is to teach them something they don't know. When you come on Sunday morning, and he will go on to talk about in this one, he's going to talk about something, and he uses the word periclesis, but it's, it's, it's the word proclamation. On Sunday morning, the people sitting in the pew believe. The stuff that I preach on, I, I'm, 98% of the time, you already know. It's nothing you know, when I tell you that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, you don't go, oh, yeah, really? You know, when I tell you that uh, uh, you ought to pray, you don't go, wow, nobody has ever said that before. Um, right? I mean, the stuff that I say, I know it, you know it, we all know it. You know, should I stand up and go, well... I got nothing new to tell you. You you all know about the Bible. We'll just go on to the offertory and we'll just kind of skip it because we all know it. You know, and if you don't know it, you can read about it in books. (laughs) Although I think you just hit upon why we don't allow people from other um, different denominations and even church bodies that are called Lutheran to commune with us because an Elka person has probably not heard a whole lot about the resurrection, for instance. Correct. He speaks about proclamation. What does that mean, proclamation? Well, it means I proclaim it. I tell you about it. Um, yes, you might say it serves a good purpose in the sense that we probably ought to be reminded. Um, why should I occasionally remind you to pray? Because we don't do it. Well, they don't do it. Or we don't do it enough. Or we don't... Yeah! Yeah, it's not that you don't. It's just that... Let me tell you again. Um, let me tell you... you know, yes. And so there is this kind of thing that uh, uh, we need to kind of hear it again. 
a matter of, though, that we're just forgetful. You know, it's, it's because of our sinful nature and that saint and sinner always, you know, fighting against each other, that that's why we need that. And so, it's not that you are unbelievers, but uh, you need to be uh, renewed in who you are. Um, I'm going to try to, instead of pointing to the thing, I'm going to try to cut to the chase. Um, he draws the connection between the Old Testament, which had the sacraments of circumcision and the Passover, and about you became a part of the Christian, a part of the community through your circumcision, and all who were a part of it then partook of the Passover. That's what you did. If you were an alien, you needed to be taught and brought in, and then you, you did that. He goes on to talk about, in the Christian faith, we are brought into our congregations by means of our baptism, and we are always moving forward to a reception of the Lord's Supper, Christ's body and blood for the forgiveness of sins. Our liturgy understands that. It understands that there is a progression and that every one of us are in the midst of this. When we go forward and when the pastor proclaims, he's not telling you something new. He's telling you, wait a minute, you are a baptized person. And you might remember, um, back at the beginning of, of one of these, he says, Pastor, don't tell me what you think and feel. I, I mean, we're not concerned what you think and feel about this and whatever. But he then goes on a little bit later, he says, But Pastor, you need to preach to the people what they need to think and feel. Now, how do I preach to you what you need to think and feel? I tell you you're a baptized child of God, and baptized children of God think this way. Baptized children of God feel this way about these things. And so usually when I begin with my law message, what do I do? I point out where you are sinning. Yes, showing your sins. But you're not living like a baptized child of God. And I point that out so that it shows you where you kind of go, listen, you ought to be thinking about it this way, you ought to be living in it. You're not. Oh. So what does that mean? Then I go on to proclaim the central truth about the forgiveness of sins, again, which you know, but you need to know about that part of your life as well, so that as we move forward, now the very next thing that we're going to do is to receive the body and blood of Christ, the forgiveness of sins, become a be as children around the table. You're not living as children? Ah, the goal is that we all, confessing our sins, sit back around the table again. That's the kind of proclamation that goes on. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's a renewing of who you are and telling you about how you ought to live because of who you are, there are often, uh, and, and it usually breaks down this way, if the pastor's preaching on the gospel, the gospel usually presents to us what we would call doctrinal. By doctrinal, I mean uh, um, 
the, the teaching concerning Jesus Christ, who he is, what he has done, and usually that directs us towards faith. So uh, the nobleman who comes, hears Jesus, knows that by his miracles that he ought to hold to his word, and he believes in it. I'm going to say to you that you also, like that man, ought to be led to trust in the word of God, and God's going to lead you that way. He's going to start taking away things so that you hold to the word of God, faith. Often the epistles of Paul and Peter and these others are usually many sermons upon the gospel. They usually deal with the application, or we would call ethical, that is, uh, with how you live. But it's not just moralism. Here's what you do. The preacher starts off with, if you're a baptized child of God, this is the way you would live. And so it becomes a life of love. You can't get to this without going through the gospel. Um, in each one of these, I'm going to be preaching long gospel for sure, but it's always going to be directed in this way, this kind of proclamation that goes with it. Um, some of the old books, as well as when, when I went to uh, uh, seminary, they used to say, when you have your sermon, does it have a faith or a life goal? In other words, is your goal to get people to trust, or is your goal to get people to trust in Jesus so that they pray, so that they love their neighbor, so that they, and, and usually it kind of falls out in, in one of those two ways. Um, this is a little more technical way of speaking, but I, I'm trying to give you just a little bit more of what's kind of behind it. Um, I will tell you, it, it's very simple in this sense. Often, if you will go to a Reformed church and you will go to their service, most of the time you come back and tell me, well, pastor, it wasn't really a service. You say... It was a, well, it's kind of like what we do downstairs, Pastor. I mean, it wasn't really a message, sermon. Ser I mean, you know, we have a liturgy and we have this. And you're preaching, you know, what you do down here, Pastor, your instruction is what they do in their main service. So when do they do this? When do they take the, you know, not just instruction, but the proclamation where we are going to say, uh, um, here is the central act. I want to preach Jesus Christ. I want to direct you to faith, and then I want to lead you in that way so that this comes forward. I don't talk to you as if you were an unbeliever, but I guide you as someone who, yeah, you're here to hear the Word of God. Okay, here's what the Word of God says this morning. Just about out of time. Um, Is the lack of proclamation why we get upset because we don't hear about Jesus? Don't hear his name. Because <laughs> it, it, that's the main message. Right. It, even if it has biblical truths, 
you know, it doesn't yet relate it to that which I want to hear every Sunday morning, that which, um, and the, interesting enough, the liturgy is designed so that this stays at the center. And so if you preach according to it, you preach this way. If you don't, it's off somewhere else. Just question the instruction kind of preaching. Would it be okay to not talk about Jesus in that? I mean, you'd still want to, I mean, right? Right. Yeah, yeah no. Just, but, you know, there are times that, um, you know, I have to, I'm going to be teaching on Genesis 1 and the six days of creation. I mean, Obviously, I'm going to spend a whole lot of time talking about what happens each day. How is that? I mean, you know, um, I would always want to relate it to, I think, even in my instruction, without a doubt. But, again, it's it's not going to be. um, But I also want to know that, you know, on Sunday morning, I'm going to say, um, I find that I do a whole lot more instruction than a lot of pastors do. Um, I do it on a Sunday morning too. Uh, it, it's not. It should not be the central, but it starts. You know, you're going to get something here, um, and then I'm going to explain how it how it goes, how it does that. Um, in in a general sense, we used two Greek words this morning: kerygma and uh, paraklesis. Kerygma is the message of salvation. Now, that includes the whole message. The, the paraclesis is the proclamation of that message. Now, in one sermon, we're all going to be dead before the, the, whole, the whole kerygma is preached so that we understand it. It, it can't all be in one sermon. That, that <laughs> so you, it, it's a continuing thing. This kerygma goes on through our life. We're always being taught about Jesus, and that that happens in the proclamation. It goes together. Um. <laughs> that really threw you, didn't it? <laughs> I'm out of time and I need to wrap it up. Um, I have had uh, I, I had a non-member spouse uh, who came and similar to your uh, uh, the comment you mentioned um, uh, this man said to me, because I'd, I'd gone to visit him at home and, and whatever, and, and so he said he'd come. He came for a couple Sundays. And he pretty well said to me, he said, listen, Pastor, I'm a practical man. And he said, when I come, you know, you've got me for an hour. I want you to teach me something. You know, I want to go away with I want to go away with something I can use. Um, and, and that was his complaint about our, our divine service. Um, the, the complaint was, we did all this divine service kind of stuff, which, uh, and then I only preached for ten or twelve minutes, and I didn't tell him something he could use. Use for what? 
So, right. So you kind of go. He missed the whole point. Um, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, the last thing, um, rather than the relevancy, um, and we talked about that at the beginning, or we mentioned last time about. Uh, the pastor who's supposed to take the word of God and then we said he's supposed to have the newspaper in the one hand and whatever and you kind of go I'm really not quite sure what that means Um, it really sounded good um, but I kind of go so he's supposed to do what? apply the word of God to I, I mean what, to the Israeli-Hamas war? Is he supposed to apply it to uh, serial murderers? You know, should I have a sermon on, you know, don't be a serial murderer? I mean, I, you just kind of go, I, I mean, I, um, I'm, I'm not quite sure what this what this means. The idea, I think, is the most of this man, there is a relevancy, and when I come in, these are the things that are relevant to me, um, and I want you to address them. And what happens is, is the church says, yeah, those things really aren't that important. And if you want to, you know, if you're concerned about crop rotation, the FFAs, they got a fine program. You can go talk to them. Yeah, um, the pastor and the liturgy and all is going to be concerned with your ultimate needs. Crop rotation is going to go away. You're going to die. Um, I don't think we really need to be, you know, you got a serial murder next door or not? You know, okay, well, then we're not really concerned about that right now. What we're concerned about is uh, what the members are looking for. There will always be many who leave the church saying the sermon can take no message for them. If the primary purpose is to satisfy the needs of the individual in this way, anyone could declare there's no point in his going to church at all, since the preacher never has any message for it. But the sermon is part of the liturgy. The preacher speaks to the member of Christ's body, and his job is to edify, sustain, strengthen, renew, and increase faith. The pastor is not concerned with other things. He's concerned with the ultimate need of your salvation, and that would also be for, if you're a baptized child of God, I want to keep you in that baptized faith until you get to that ultimate marriage feast, uh, uh, that is in heaven, the Lord's Supper, and that Lord's Supper that we have here strengthens us along this way. And so if you come and say, well, the liturgy really didn't speak to me today, you'd say, well, it did. You're going to have to change what you think and feel because it was telling you the way that it, you ought to be. And obviously you're not. Um, and so, if you don't want to praise God, it's going to teach you that that's what you need to be doing. Um, that is why the message uh, is designed in this way. It is a message for believers. And most of the time, if you're not, you don't want to be here, because that's not what you're interested in. Um, it's a different kind of, of, of message and, and, and preaching. So... Um, I think that summarizes it to, to some way. We are uh, finished going through, up through the sermon. Uh, today's the 29th. Next Sunday is the 5th. The next one is November 12th. November 12th, we're going to uh, start using uh, the very first part of the Green Hymnal up into the sermon. And then, after the sermon, we haven't gone over the other part, we'll use the Blue Hymnal 
for after the sermon to the end. So we use the green emerald for first and the, uh, the blue at the end. Um, we've kind of gone over parts of that. Uh, and so we'll see that in you know, a couple Sundays from today. So let's conclude with the prayer. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you for your word, particularly for this day for sending uh, men uh, that they might preach this word. We ask, dear Lord, that as your children, that you might always call us back to our faith, that in calling us back to that faith, that you would lead us to lead lives of love uh, as your children, that we might always sit around your table and uh, rejoice in the forgiveness which you have given. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.